Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Pray with me. So holy God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be heard and said in glory to you, to you alone this day. Amen. So we are currently in a sermon series on wilderness where we are preaching our way through the gospel of Mark. So when Tom asked me to preach this Sunday, he gave me the text he was using last week and the text he's going to use next week so that I could pick something that fell between those stories. And he reminded me that the beheading of John the Baptist was in this section. And then he did something he should not have done, which was to make a little joke as if surely I wouldn't pick that story. And so naturally, our reading today comes from the beheading of John the Baptist. If you are like me, this is one of these stories that when you hear it, it is hard to get out of your mind. It is an unusual story in every way. So listen in and let's see what God might have to say to us in this day from this unfortunate story. From Mark 6, verses 17 through 25, we read, For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to marry your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. She could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and she said to her mother, what should I ask for? And she replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. This is the good news of our Lord. So do you know this story? It's a strange one. But I think that we owe it some attention because of how much attention Mark gives it. The tradition knows that John was beheaded, but how and why the narrative that surrounds it, it only appears here in Mark's gospel. This is curious because we know that Mark was written first. It's the earliest of the gospels. And it was used as a source by the other gospel writers. There are parts of Mark that the other authors just copied whole chunks of, but not this one. 
Matthew consolidates this drama into a more matter-of-fact scene. Luke mentions in his narrative that John was beheaded, but that's it. Mark stands alone in this telling, and this is out of character for Mark. As Tom has been teaching us, Mark is not overly concerned with fluff. Mark's favorite word is immediately. He doesn't even include Jesus' birth story in his account. He just jumps right into it. But here, our author seems to pause. He seems to switch style and tone. Right before this story is the one that Brooke mentioned in our children's message. It's a much better story. The mission of the disciples, Jesus sends them out two by two with the power to cast out demons and heal the sick. And this is really as good as it gets in Mark. It's the peak of Mark's gospel. They go out and they are wildly successful. They later return from their journey. They gather around Jesus with tales to tell. Eventually here they'll feed the 5,000. But right into the center of that peak story, we have this one. Mark interrupts the best part of his own gospel to tell us about this. It seems to me that he's asking us to pay attention. We've been in the wilderness with Jesus, but here we enter the court of Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, the king. John has been preaching against Herod because Herod married his brother's wife. I think we can hear that and understand it might be a problem, but more than just causing tension at a family reunion, this was banned in Hebrew law. And beyond just being against the law, there's a potential political problem here. Herod's brother Philip is the ruler of the area immediately east of Herod's territory. This marriage has put two rulers at odds with each other. And as our modern world knows too well, political rivals sharing a border is a dangerous thing. The text tells us that Herodias, the wife in question, has a grudge against John. It's a strange word, an echo in Greek. It's the only time this word is used in Mark. It means something like, to be entangled with. So Herodias has this grudge, is entangled with the prophet John. Art and culture have been creative with Herodias and her daughter. They often appear as seductresses, receiving John's head with joy. I'm not sure that's a fair depiction. What happens to them if King Herod decides to listen to this noisy prophet? This is not a system that lets them retreat quietly. In Herod's court, Herodias' entanglement with Herod, with Philip, with John, it's all a matter of life and death for her. And so the story goes, there is a birth quit for the king, and the daughter of Herodias, the language is confused there, but it is her daughter, she comes in to dance. Scripture doesn't name her, but she's remembered by history as Salome. Her dancing so pleases the king that, perhaps motivated by excessive food and drink, he tells her that he will give her whatever she desires. The girl runs to her mother, and here 
Here we have the only conversation that is recorded in all of Scripture between a mother and a daughter. Salome asks, Mom, what should I ask for? And Herodias replies in all the drama that Mark intends, I want you to give me the head of John the Baptist. The king is deeply grieved, it says. It seems kings are always deeply grieved while simultaneously doing the thing we're supposed to believe grieves them. And just like that, John, the promised child of Elizabeth and Zechariah, John who called rich and poor, ordinary and powerful, to the river in the wilderness, that all might repent and hear the good news, John is beheaded because of a drunken promise to a dancing girl at a birthday banquet. This fantastical, made-for-TV kind of story, it's, it's bizarre. The way it is written and located in Mark adds to the strangeness. And the content of the story, the details that unfold are whimsically gruesome, bordering on absurd. And if I understand the text, I think that's the point. Sure, there is a foreshadowing of Jesus' death here, And more than that, a cautionary tale to any who follow in Jesus' way. All the disciples will be killed similarly. But I have to wonder, if Mark was just trying to give us a hint as to what was coming, I think our most concise writer would have done it with much fewer words. I think Mark tells us the story where and how he does to invite us into the absurdity. He wants us maybe to sit a moment at Herod's table so we might recognize it when we end up there again. I think the story has been rattling around in my head like it has been lately because there's something about it that feels familiar in our own wild days. It seems the topic of most conversations I have been having lately is just about how strange life feels right now. Two years into a global pandemic, almost one million lives lost just in our own nation. Our politics have reached a new level of personal as we attack one another instead of protecting one another. Our posturing has reached a new level of absurd as we pretend to not know why workers aren't returning to jobs for low wages as billionaires are orbiting the planet. We're spending thousands on NFTs, and no one completely understands what that means while my neighbors cannot afford their groceries. If you feel that the world is upside down, I think that's because it is. And I wonder if part of what Mark is doing by putting this story here in this way is reminding us that this gospel The story of good news where the disciples are sent out two by two and the crowds are healed, it's happening in the same time and place where kings ruled and violence was common and banquets were plentiful for some. The contrast Mark is painting isn't so that we might choose the right way. It's a reminder that these two contrasting scenes are always present. Neither exists without the other. Choosing one doesn't free us from the other. John knows that too well. 
Herod's court and Jesus' wilderness are inextricably entangled. Last summer, I watched along with the rest of you as our involvement in the war in Afghanistan ended in a particular flourish of chaos. We entered that war when I was in high school. Some of my friends joined the military to be part of it. We have been warring there my entire adult life. There's a lot that has been said about our withdrawal from Afghanistan, and I imagine it will continue to be discussed by people who study such things forever and ever. But I was watching it with my newborn on my lap, and it hit a little differently that way. The world looks different when you enter a baby into it. I can't quite explain that yet. I'm still learning, but I can tell you it's true. And when I saw the image, like the rest of you, of the baby being passed over the wall at the Afghanistan airport, I can tell you I felt that. Yeah, there's a lot being said about what happened there. Political stances to take, blame to go around. But some of you, some of you kept watching, and you kept asking. And when our local news informed us that hundreds of refugees from Afghanistan were on their way to being relocated in our city, you came here to your church, and you asked what we could do. It took us a minute to figure it out. But by the fall, we were talking with Jewish Vocational Services, one of the organizations in charge of refugee location, relocation here, and we began to organize. And so last weekend, Pastor Melanie and I loaded up cars and trucks with about 20 of you and 108 items of furniture and home goods that you all donated, and we went to set up a home for a family of six from Afghanistan. You worked all morning cleaning and turning this small house into something like a home. And some of you heroes stayed into the afternoon, finishing the most difficult piece of the entire endeavor, which turned out to be IKEA bunk beds. <laughs> when we were done, I got word that the family would move in sometime during the week and they needed groceries. So I quickly emailed some of you asking if you could go shopping, and you did that. And I noticed that all of your bags had a few extra items in them. So it was the middle of the week before the family moved in, and when I got the call, there wasn't time to organize, so I just went myself. I thought I was just going to drop off the groceries. The caseworker from JVS greeted me and helped me to translate as I met the family. And then, then the caseworker let me know that he had to take off as the mom simultaneously asked me to sit. She was making tea. I don't know as much about Afghan culture as I wish I did, but I know enough that when tea is offered, I know you sit and you drink it. So there I sat, watching the young son play outside with the soccer ball that we had left, being greeted by the youngest daughter as she proudly showed the art supplies we had put together, and being served tea from a saucepan as I immediately realized we forgot a teapot. I stayed for about an hour as this sweet family practiced their newly learned English with me. When we couldn't figure out the words, we resorted to showing each other photos on our phones to explain. And when we ran out of things to talk about, we shared the universal language of baby photos. 
I showed them photos of my baby, Charlie, and the dad suddenly got emotional. As his best friend, he said, as a U.S. soldier named Charlie. He got us out, he choked. He got us out. That's all I know about how they left their country. I didn't ask more. There will be time, and we will listen if they want to tell us. But this big mess of a thing that we all watched unfold on our news screens, it didn't matter much as we sat drinking tea out of a saucepan. They're just a family with kids navigating a new school, glad to have soccer balls and art supplies. And despite our language barrier, it was a completely normal encounter, a simple table conversation with new friends. I think that's because I was at the right table, a table donated by one of you, a table set up by Stan, who had to take it apart at least twice because I keep ask, kept asking him to move it, a table situated in the wide wilderness that Jesus lives in, calling us to continue the mission. Mark puts this story in the middle of his gospel with drama that makes us pay attention because it's precisely when the world seems most absurd, when violence seems most bent on winning, it's then that the mission is most needed. The wilderness and Herod's court, they are entangled. Following Jesus does not allow us to ignore Herod's court. John teaches us that. But following Jesus does mean we have to constantly return to the wilderness, check in with what table we are at, and be sure we are going about the healing and not the beheading. So Village Church, the mission is most needed in these days. There is a cacophony of chaos happening around us, and it is exhausting. I won't tell you to ignore it, Herod's court always requires us to pay attention. But Jesus is still in the wilderness calling those of us who can hear to cast out the demons and heal the sick and feed the hungry and house the stranger. Mark locates the story where and how he does to say, look, this is always the case. So pay attention to the power, but don't give it all your energy. Pay attention to the chaos around you, but do not let it inside your soul. Pay attention to what is hard, but don't stop looking for what is possible, for your work is in the wilderness. Let us pray. So God of every day, heal us, feed us, Call us, equip us, send us to serve you and only you in this and every day. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.